Countering China, something both sides of the U.S. aisle agree on. But Republicans say they'll take a different approach if they win the midterm elections. F-35 fighter jet deliveries on pause, all because of a single part made in China. Is the U.S. still granting China access to microchip technology? A recent sales approval by U.S. regulators hints the answer is yes. And North Korea's nuclear threat getting an update. A new rule means the country could launch nuclear strikes if it feels threatened and rejects future denuclearization talks. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Chenny Wu, in for Tiffany Meyer. Countering the Chinese Communist Party is a bipartisan issue here in the U.S. But House GOP Congress members say they want to take a new approach. This as Republicans plan to unveil their midterm agenda in 10 days. Here are the details. Predicting the GOP will reclaim the majority in the November midterms, House Republicans say they want to bring real changes to America's policies on China. When we get the majority back, we're going to prepare America to win the great power competition against China. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and other Republicans led a press conference in Texas on Thursday. They vowed to enforce sanctions on Chinese slave labor, block China's influence on American universities, and crack down on Beijing's espionage in the U.S. Not through talk, but through, through actions and words uh, and deeds. Democrats have also stepped up their message of countering China. Following a trip by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan in August, a slew of bipartisan delegations has visited the democratically ruled island. The latest one traveled there on Thursday. Is a symbol of Congress's rock-solid commitment to Taiwan. The Biden administration is also hailing its efforts to compete with China, including the passage of the bipartisan CHIPS Act. And China is trying to move away ahead of us. It's no wonder the Chinese Communist Party actively lobbied U.S. business against this bill. Despite that, the House GOP says the administration has not stood up to the communist regime. And as a result, today China continues to steal America's intellectual property with impunity. And on September 19, McCarthy is expected to unveil the GOP's midterm platform, which will cover the economy, the border, parental rights and government accountability. It's been another busy week for Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen. American and French lawmakers are now visiting Taiwan. The U.S. delegation is the sixth to travel to the island since early August. Likewise, Taiwan's president expressed confidence in signing a high-standard trade deal with the U.S., an effort it's been pushing for amid opposition from Beijing. Here's more. Taiwan says it's confident that it can sign a high-standard trade deal with the U.S. under new framework. Both sides are expected to start talks early this fall. The Office of U.S. Trade Representative said discussion will cover several fronts, including agriculture trade, regulation, and anti-corruption standards, among others. Taiwanese officials say they aim to shore up the island's economy by promoting its agricultural products. What's more, the island wants to attract funds and technology from the U.S. and the world. Across the Taiwan Strait, Beijing says it firmly opposes the signing of such a deal. On the U.S. side, a Democrat that sits on House Armed Services Committee expressed her support while visiting Taiwan. 
One of the most important things Congress can do right now is to deepen economic relationship with Taiwan, and in particular, by pushing for a high-quality free trade agreement between the U.S. and Taiwan. We also cannot underestimate the power of cultural exchanges across academia, civil society, and government. She's also calling on Congress to advocate for greater Taiwan participation in international organizations. Congresswoman Murphy said Taiwan has shown itself to be a responsible member, and it deserves to attend international forums. Economy officials from the United States and 13 Indo-Pacific countries launched negotiations on Thursday. This marks Washington's first major trade engagement effort in the region in nearly a decade. But this time, cutting tariffs isn't on the table. Instead, the talks are aimed at addressing future challenges and achieving sustainable and equitable growth in the region. Australia, India, Japan, South Korea and New Zealand are among the other nations involved. The international trend of politicians visiting Taiwan continues. A French delegation arrived at the island on Thursday. Here's a closer look. A group of French lawmakers is visiting Taiwan. The island's vice president said the trip symbolizes France's support toward democratic Taiwan. It also sends a very important message to the international community that freedom and democracy-loving countries that value human rights can only prevent the rise of authoritarianism if they stick together. The French senator leading the delegation emphasized Taiwan's importance. Listen, as we have said repeatedly a number of times, France is a power with presence in the Pacific, so we have our stakes in this region. Today, we consider Taiwan to be a partner in the stability of the region. The French delegation is set to stay until next Monday. The Pentagon says it's putting a pause on deliveries of a popular fighter jet. Defense Department officials discovered that Lockheed Martin's F-35 stealth-capable combat aircraft has a part that's made in China. That's against regulations. But the Pentagon says the component does not pose any national security issues. The part in question is an alloy used in the jet's integrated power package and will be replaced by one from an approved vendor. The F-35 is widely used in the U.S. military, with versions made for the Air Force, Marines and Navy for aircraft carriers. Pentagon officials say the issue will be resolved as quickly as possible, so aircraft deliveries can resume. The Biden administration has approved a new intellectual property sale. The deal involving semiconductor or microchip technology is going to a Canadian company. But it's partially owned by China. Here's more. The U.S. just approved the sale of a semiconductor IP developer. The company is called Open5 and creates what are known as intellectual property cores. Those are reusable parts of circuitry needed for microchips. The company is being sold to AlphaWave IP Group. But Canada-based AlphaWave is financially backed by Wise Road Capital, which holds a 10% stake. And Wise Road Capital is based in Beijing. It has strong ties with the Chinese Communist Party, and its deals have often aligned with the goals of the Chinese Communist regime's industrial policy objectives. Republican lawmakers are questioning the sales approval. 
In a statement, Senator Marco Rubio said, By failing to block this latest sale, the Biden administration has yet again demonstrated its total unwillingness to take this threat seriously. He added that American competitiveness will suffer in the long term as a result. The White House has not issued comment on the matter. Microchips are vital to a plethora of modern technologies, ranging from pickup trucks to hypersonic missiles. The Biden administration this week announced restrictions for American companies investing in China's microchip industry. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo said on Tuesday that companies who receive funds from the $280 billion Chips in Science Act can't build cutting-edge or advanced technology facilities in China for the next 10 years. Right now, the U.S. is largely dependent on Asia for microchips. Nearly all of them are imported from Taiwan and China. After years of stalled denuclearization talks, North Korea affirmed its status as a nuclear state on Friday. State media reported that Pyongyang passed a new law, enshrining the right to use preemptive nuclear strikes to protect itself. It also bars any denuclearization talks. Let's zoom in. An original 2013 law first outlined North Korea's status as a nuclear state. It stipulated that the country could retaliate with nuclear weapons to repel an invasion or an attack from a hostile, nuclear-capable country. Now the new law passed on Friday goes beyond that. If Pyongyang detects what they call an imminent attack by weapons of mass destruction against them, they've granted themselves the right to strike first. It's an apparent reference to a similar strategy that South Korea unveiled in July, aimed at North Korea. The North's leader Kim Jong-un said that was a sign of a deteriorating situation. He added that their new law bars any more denuclearization talks from happening and declared the point of no return in a speech. President Joe Biden's administration has offered to return to talks with Kim, while South Korea's President Yoon Suk-yeol has offered economic aid to Pyongyang if it agreed to denuclearize. Kim on Friday said he would never surrender the weapons, even if the country faced a hundred years of sanctions. The law reads, in case the command and control system over the state nuclear forces is placed in danger, owing to an attack by hostile forces, a nuclear strike shall be launched automatically and immediately to destroy the hostile forces. Ankit Panda of the U.S.-based Carnegie Endowment for International Peace shed light on what this means. He told The Strait Times that this could mean if North Korea's leader is killed, a senior official would give the order to carry out nuclear strikes. Japan is boosting defense preparation alongside its allies, just in case. First on the list, joint drills with the U.S. and South Korea in August, with two more training exercises scheduled this year. The U.S. will also keep its rocket launchers and other equipment stored at a frontline Japanese base. Beyond that, Japan is now revealing plans for joint drills with India amid the increasing China threat in the region. Here's more. More bilateral military drills are happening between India and Japan. The nation said Thursday that they would deepen defense cooperation and plan new military exercises involving their air forces. We welcome the significant expansion of our security and defense cooperation between Japan and India, and we have confirmed that it will be further strengthened to a higher level. India's defense minister held talks in Tokyo with his Japanese counterpart ahead of what's called the Foreign and Defense Ministerial Meeting, also known as the 2 plus 2 talks. 
India, like Japan, is bolstering its military to tackle what it sees as increased security threats. Both countries appear increasingly wary of China's growing military might and assertiveness in the region. Japan is the world's third largest economy and plays a considerable role in the international community. Japan's new defense chief said recently that the country plans to improve its defense capabilities amid Chinese threats. Japan's relationship with India, the world's largest democracy by population, has traditionally been strong. To prepare itself for military conflict between China and Taiwan, Japan is also looking to increase ammo and fuel storage on its southern islands, some of them within 100 miles of Taiwan. Now we'd like to take a moment to answer a question from our audience. One viewer wrote in to ask about the production of neon gas and China's role in it. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has further aggravated the global shortage of semiconductors, also known as microchips. Part of that disruption involves the manufacturing of a key ingredient needed to make the chips, neon gas. Before the invasion, Ukraine produced around 50 percent of the world's semiconductor-grade neon gas. That accounts for more than 90 percent of the neon used by American chip manufacturers. The gas is critical for the lasers used to make the chips. According to market researcher TechSet, global neon consumption for chip making reached nearly an estimated 600 tons last year. But Ukraine's two leading neon suppliers have halted operations since February. As a result, the world will be more reliant on the globe's other two major suppliers, Russia and China. A general manager at Changzhou Nashin Special Gases told South China Morning Post that China's global neon share may rise from 30 percent to 50 percent. Companies elsewhere could start their own neon production. But chief marketing officer of supply frame Richard Barnett says it would take anywhere from nine months to two years to get going. What's more, Angelo Zeno, senior industry analyst at CFRA, says companies may be unwilling to invest in that process if the supply crunch is only seen as temporary. Coming up, the China-Taiwan situation has been making headlines for weeks. But why won't or why can't the U.S. do more to help the island? Retired U.S. Marine Colonel Grant Newsham gives us his take on the situation. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. The prospect of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan has been making headlines. Tensions between Beijing and Taipei remain at their highest in decades. And the U.S. has been taking notice. Entity's Tiffany Meyer spoke to retired U.S. Marine Colonel Grant Newsham to get his take. The U.S. under President Biden has approved their first arms sales to Taiwan, numbering in the $1.1 billion range, and they are trying to expedite that process because often it takes years for this. And obviously China was not happy about it and sent out some fiery remarks. But with this kind of movements, do you see kind of this rising awareness in the U.S.? Maybe we're trying to prevent another Ukraine. How do you see that? Oh, it's part of the U.S.'s really ongoing effort to give Cha Taiwan sort of enough support to keep it afloat. Uh, if you actually look at what is involved in this particular arms sale, it's not you know, all that impressive. It's nice to have. Uh, but as you noted, it takes a very long time for these things to actually come to fruition. 
Now they've made the announcement, but delivery of a lot of these things won't be for some years. Uh, this problem with Taiwan just may uh, uh, appear sooner than we expect. But it, to me, it looks, um, it's the dribs and drabs sort of approach to supplying Taiwan uh, that we've taken. But some of the weapons they are talking about, but the missiles in particular, uh, are useful ones. And you'll notice that the announcement was made, as I understand, is on like a Friday afternoon uh, before a long weekend almost. So it was hoping maybe the Chinese wouldn't notice. Uh, well, they always do. And they complain, of course. Uh, but I see it really as um, sort of a, a half, half effort to support Taiwan. Because uh, one, the amounts of things, the, the quantities are not huge. Uh, but they are useful. But as importantly, you'll note that we still won't do joint training with the Taiwan military. And that is absolutely essential if Taiwan is going to defend itself and we're going to help defend them. Uh, and it's just really inexcusable that after 40 years, we still refuse to do that. Uh, that needs addressed uh, quickly. And Grant, why do you think there is that reluctance to do joint drills? Is it fear of angering Beijing or what's holding us back? Oh, it, there's a couple things. And one is ultimately it is that almost uh, checkmate or veto that the Chinese have gotten over us uh, and over our ruling class, our business class, financial class, and even the political class. And even our diplomats, they always think, well, what will China think? China will be angry, therefore we can or can't do something. And that has really, we've allowed ourselves to psychologically be boxed in. Uh, and that needs to change, as I said. Um, but th th there's also something uh, more to it that's going on in recent years. And the idea is that the Americans are telling the Taiwanese how to defend themselves. And you hear asymmetric defense, buying long range weapons that you know, can make yourself into a porcupine so China won't dare attack you, but do it the way the Americans tell them. Um, presumably the people giving the advice are the same ones who advise the Afghans how to defend themselves. Uh, I'm being a little mean there, but you, the point is made. Uh, but it's what I've heard, and this goes back actually three or four years, is uh, the idea being that, well, until Taiwan does what we say, we're not going to break them out of that isolation. We're not going to do joint training. They have to do what we say first uh, and listen to us. And then we might do them a favor. And that is the wrong approach. Uh, and I really was uh, really uh, very disappointed when I heard that. But that's part of the equation, is the Taiwan Taiwanese are not doing exactly what the Americans are telling them uh, in terms of organizing their military and their defenses. So therefore, we're not going to help them out uh, with the joint training. Um, that really needs to change. Um, put give you just an example. Um, in the say 42 years, the Americans, as far as I know, the only real joint training they have done uh, was in 2017. A Taiwan Marine platoon came to Hawaii and trained with the U.S. Marines. A platoon is about 40 people. And then last year, uh, the a Taiwan Marine platoon trained with the U.S. Marines on Guam. So two times in 42 years with about 40 Taiwanese uh, involved each time. Uh, that is not serious training. Uh, and we say this is something that doesn't get attention, but it needs addressed and fast. 
And it seems there has been a lot of talks of China potentially doing a blitz attack on Taiwan. And it seems some of the neighboring countries there are trying to shore up their own defenses. Japan, for example, has been looking very closely at what could be happening there. And the prime minister has said he will double the defense spending. And they really seem to be boosting on their own defenses. So how, what do you make of all of this? What is Japan's stake in this? Well, Japan's stake is almost the same as Taiwan's stake. If Taiwan goes under, comes under Chinese control, the uh, the Japanese are in a very difficult position. Uh, they will have their southern defenses outflanked, and they will be in a position uh, to be surrounded by the Chinese, uh, with the Chinese Navy and Air Force operating from Taiwan. But also, the Chinese will then have really just unambiguous control over the South China Sea. And that means that the sea lanes through which about 80 plus percent of uh, Japan's energy flows are easily cut, uh, as well as a lot of the commercial traffic uh, that the Taiwan, that the Japanese uh, send through the, the, the South China Sea. Um, so it is really, from a military perspective, a huge problem uh, for Japan if Taiwan falls. But also keep in mind, it's an equally big problem for the Americans and the Japanese depend on the Americans uh, to help defend them. Uh, so Japan is well aware of the problem. Uh, and there have been Japanese who understood this from at least 10 years ago, longer in fact. Uh, they weren't really listened to, but now it has this, uh, the danger um, has really spread throughout the ruling class, the political class, uh, and the public at large. Uh, so they're talking now about doubling defense spending, and the prime minister has called for it's like a substantial uh, strengthening of the defense capabilities. Um, but what you notice is that they don't really seem to know exactly what to do. Uh, there's talk of buying a lot of missiles, a so-called counter-strike capability, and you know buying some additional ships and satellites and some advanced aircraft. But it's almost like online shopping, where you go shopping and you don't quite know what you know, know what you want, but you see these neat things, so you you buy a bunch of them, but you don't really know exactly why you're getting them or how you're going to use them. Uh, and that is where the Japanese really need some advice: uh, is to uh, understand the capabilities and the hardware requirements and the financial requirements they need to properly defend themselves, and to do it. Uh, with the Americans. Uh, and it, this is specialized expertise that is, uh, you know, Japan doesn't seem to have it. So when you hear all the talk about Japan, um, say, now getting serious about defense, there's a, a whole lot of concrete things that need done that requires clear thinking, and it needs to come from somewhere. And I would suggest the Americans uh, ought to get the right people in the room with the right Japanese, assess the threat. Uh, together and then say, look, this is what you need to fight a war. And fighting a war is different than anything else. And Japan doesn't have any recent experience at it. This is where some of the right Americans can help them. Uh, and once they, they have a better sense of what they need and what they need to do, then I think you, we, Japan would, um, would pretty quickly go about doing it. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Chenny Wu.
If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus@ntd.com. We love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and have a nice weekend. The 2022 NTD 8th International Chinese Vocal Competition will be held from September 29th to October 2nd at the Merkin Hall of Kaufman Music Center in New York City. The competition is honored to have specially invited vocalists with the world-renowned Shenyun Performing Arts to serve on its panel of judges. The gold award is ten thousand dollars. For more information, please visit vocal.ntdtv.com.